Drew Earnshaw is our guest speaker of the day, and so we're just so thankful to have him here. He's with Bible League, right off of 394, and so let's give him a warm welcome. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back with you this morning. I've been here a couple times in the past, and it is a it always is a, is a pleasure to praise and worship with you and to come together with you. Um, you know, I'm a guest here. I'm not really ingrained in your culture, but um, I see quite a bit of red, white, and blue on today. And, um, you know, it's Memorial Day, and I, I thought maybe we could have anybody that's been involved in our armed forces stand up. Um, if you just do that now, anybody that was in the military at all, can we just thank them? Thank you very much for your service, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful Memorial Day weekend. I, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. I want to start off uh, my sermon here just talking about, uh, just asking you a question of, who are you? Who are you? I've always struggled with that question, you know, growing up. Um, it was my interests that made me who I was, right? And if you're into country music, got a big pickup truck, you're blasting that country music, maybe that's, you see yourself as a country boy or, boy or country girl, or like me, I was always into uh, weird, weird, obscure things, I liked kind of indie music, stuff like that, that's, I hung out in coffee shops, that's who I was, right, that's, that was me, I, you know, people would describe me in different ways, but you've, you've had these same thoughts, right, who am I, what makes me me, and that's all that matters in high school, but as we grow up, we start to ask philosophical questions like, am I who I think I am, or am I who others think I am, or am I who I think others think I am? Right, that's, a, that's some deep philosophical questions, but we could take it even a step further, and there's ways that we see ourselves that we may not say Consciously, we may not say, hey, I'm the center of the universe, but we often live out of an identity that we are the center of the universe, that if people would just get with the program and do the things that I wanted them to do, all of life would go very well, right? That's kind of what we're hanging on to in our minds. Or you, you might struggle with the opposite or a balance of the two of being completely worthless, feeling like you have nothing to give, that you have nothing to offer. And both those identities, all the identities that we give ourselves are usually false or not the full picture. Or worst case scenario, they can be destructive for us. If we think we're the center of the universe or we think we're worthless, oftentimes we hand those things down to our kids. We pass those things down to the people that are in our circles. And uh, we influence. We influence out of our identity. And so we want to look at that this morning. And here's the thing is we can't find our identity by soul searching, right? There's reflection, there's contemplation, there's prayer, there's talking with God, there's reading your Bible, right? But we don't just find out who we are without first looking at God who's created us. And so we're going to walk through Psalm 8 today, and we're going to look at a, different, a few different things here. But if you have your Bibles, please open up to Psalm 8. It'll be on the screen otherwise. This song is written by David. Um, and uh, he wrote this, and um, we'll, we're just going to dive down into this. This is Psalm 8, God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all, all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you're paying attention to the psalm, you'll see that the, that the text starts off with this picture of God, and then it comes back to us, right, as humans, and then ultimately goes back to God. So this is the way we're going to unpack this today. We're going to look at who God is, then we're going to look at who we are, and then we're, we're going to look back at God, but also what we're called to do, okay? So that's the outline. So let's look at the first point, who God is. Let's look in verse 1. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it's interesting because the English doesn't fully capture this here. If you have a Bible, you might see that the uh, first Lord is all capitalized and the second Lord is not. And that's because there's two different names here. The first Lord that David is saying is Yahweh. And when he says Yahweh, he's talking about the fullness of God. He's not just saying a name like Jim, Nick. Julia, Andrew, you know, I named my kids, um, one's named loosely after my grandpa, but the other one just sounded good. That's how I named my kids, right? David's not talking about Yahweh as, in terms of the names of God. He's talking about the fullness of God. The, the, the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush to describe, I am who I am, right? He's in all, he's through all. And the second name that David gives God is Lord, Master, Ruler. Right? The, the name that we're familiar with. The, the director of our lives. And the name Yahweh was so sacred that people wouldn't even say it. Right? Yahweh, Yahweh encompasses so much in terms of the breath that sustains us. Uh, God's plan to deliver, to help, to strengthen people. And... Uh, Jewish people were afraid to even say it. In fact, even up until the last couple hundred years, a lot of the reasons why uh, some people think the KJV is the standard is because people, during the translation work, when they got to the name Yahweh, they would go and bathe fully. Every time they wrote down the name Yahweh, even if it was multiple times, they would go and bathe from head to toe and wash themselves before they said it. So Yahweh reflects God's majesty. And God's name is, David says, God's name is majestic. Majestic. Maybe we kind of glaze over these words, because if you think of the Michael W. Smith song, you know, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I'm majestic. Because, you know, it's, it's like kind of a song from the 90s. We've heard it a million times, and uh, it kind of loses its value. But majestic. Think about that word. We just got done singing about it. Right? We all have... Artists that we like to listen to, Johnny Cash, right? Elvis, maybe. Maybe you're more into Biebs, Bieber, Justin Bieber, or uh, Ariana Grande, right? Um, 
you know, maybe you like Beethoven, maybe you like uh, Mozart, right? Are their names majestic in all the earth? They may have created some majestic pieces, right? Artists like Picasso and Monet, they may have created majestic pieces that hang in a, in a museum somewhere that you can go pay some money to look at once in a while. But God, God's work is displayed in the skies, Right? We walk outside, and his beauty permeates everything. And you can see it everywhere you look, in the cornfields, out on the sunset. Right? When you're driving through and the sun is setting, and you just see the beauty of God everywhere. God's name is majestic. Nobody even holds a candle to that. Right? And his glory doesn't just sit on a canvas. It permeates the world. And his name is majestic, and he's also powerful. He's powerful. That's another aspect of God's character. Look at uh, verse 2 with me. All right, he says he can use the praise of babies and infants to stop his enemies. He's established strength because of his foes to stop the enemy and the avenger. He can take the sounds of babies and stop his enemies with it. We just got done talking about uh, military. And um, I looked this morning, actually, on what was the proposed budget for this year's U.S. defense budget, and it's $842 billion. $842 billion. That's a lot of money, right? Nations build up armies for themselves. They store weapons for themselves. Does God need any of that? No. In fact, he doesn't just say he can stop the enemy and the avenger. He can take the fool most foolish things on earth, like an innocent baby, that can't do anything for itself, and he can use that to stop the Avenger, right? Our God is powerful. I wanted to show you some few, a uh, couple things from my life. Uh, in the last month, I was able to go to Athens. Um, I work at Bible League. I, I work in the U.S. primarily, um, but I represent, the, represent Bible League when we meet in, um, uh, with other people around the world. So we're in 70 different countries. There's district region managers, and so I represent the United States. So we met in Athens for a conference, which was really sweet, right? I never expected that I'd be going to Athens. If you guys knew my backstory, I've, I've shared a little bit in the past how I was, you know, an alcoholic and drug addict and stuff. Now I'm sitting in Athens, Greece. I'm like, <laughs> how did I get here? Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at these pictures. You can go to those slides. I just thought I'd show you a few of them. That's, uh, you know, the Parthenon on the top of the Acropolis. That's a famous picture. That's one of the first theaters, actually. Um, you can go to the next one. I just want to show you a few of these things because it's beautiful. This is, I'm standing on Mars Hill here where Paul talks uh, to, the, to the Athenians about how you can actually know God. That's there. You can go to the next one. That's Corinth, which is absolutely beautiful. Next one. Ephesus. And you can see the beauty in that one. That If you go to the next slide there, too. You see the beauty in that? Those are two different pictures. It's just a slide that's cut up. And so man can create some beautiful things, right? But even the sky behind it is, is beautiful. But I, we got here, okay? This is and was called the Temple of Artemis. And the Temple of Artemis had multiple columns because it was dedicated to the god Artemis, who was known for fertility, right? So there was these columns and beautiful columns. And people would spend their entire lives on just crafting a piece of this temple. But I got here, and in comparison to the beauty of all these other towns, 
this thing kind of looked like a wasteland. Kind of gross looking. There's one column there that's not even a true column. It was just taken and, and put back up in that way. Um, and I was thinking about God. You know, people, people spend years of their lives in, with an earthquake. God can level this. God can take the temple of a false god and without doing nothing at all can just level it with a shake of his, with the shake of the earth. That's how powerful our God is. And I, as I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, how, how, how perfect is it that there's just one column left? And I was thinking about how God shakes down the enemies and then Jesus in the cross <laughs> takes over, right? That's just one of the thoughts I was thinking of while I was, while I was over here and there's one column left there. So God is powerful, right? His majesty permeates everything. He's powerful, he doesn't need a bunch of Arnold Schwarzeneggers or Sylvester Stallones or the rest of the Expendables to come out and fight his battles for him. He doesn't need Muhammad Ali or Conor McGregor to smack talk for him, right? God is powerful. He's majestic. He's powerful. What else does David say about God? Let's look at verse 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David sees God's power and majesty applied to God's creativity and beauty, and he becomes overwhelmed. Even this morning, I mean, waking up, we talked about how beautiful the day is, to walk outside and to see the skies and to see the beauty of the, the sunrise. David sees this and gets overwhelmed, and, and we, we see it, and we can become overwhelmed too. But David didn't know that there was coming. Three sextillion stars in the universe, which is three followed by 23 zeros. <laughs> if he knew that, he might be even more overwhelmed. Or the fact that there's 326 million trillions of gallons just on this earth of water. That's pretty wild, right? And so not only is this God majestic, powerful, we can't even comprehend his creation, let alone him, right? And this is where we start to see how small we really are. We look back at ourselves and, and we go, who am I that you'd be mindful of me with these millions of stars, with this huge ocean right out in front of me, with this mountain range out in front of me, and all your creation, who am I that you're mindful of me? So this is where we get into our second point. We look at, at man, we look back at us. In verse 5 he says, you made a little... Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. There are trillions of sky, stars in the sky and he's crowned me with glory and honor. Right? He says I'm a little bit lower. The word here is Elohim, which is like God and his counsel. Right? And that's what he's saying that we're a little bit lower than? How does that make any sense to anyone? Right? We're, we're not just tiny. We have a lot of things going against us. And when David wrote this psalm, he was the king of Israel. And David asked this question. He probably was sitting there as a shepherd boy. Right? He's anointed king, and then he goes on to this journey where Saul's trying to kill him all the time. But he probably gets to the throne. And Abby and I were talking about this morning because she works at Shine. I get to work at Bible League. I get to travel the world. But I, I look at myself and go, what did I what did I do to deserve this? David's probably going, what did I do to deserve this? 
And the answer is nothing, right? But there's a good illustration here. Does anybody know the story of Mephibosheth? Does anybody remember that? Mephibosheth? So Mephibosheth was uh, a guy whose name went, uh, his, his name actually means out of the mouth of shame, okay? And he's Saul, the king that's trying to kill David over and over again. He's Saul's grandson. And David's sitting on his throne, and one day he goes, you know what? I'd like to do something uh, nice for Saul's family for the sake of Jonathan, right? Is there anybody left in Saul's family that I can honor? And they go, well, there's this guy named Mephibosheth, and he lives out in this place called Lodabar, which means no pasture land. So it's just kind of this wasteland of outcasts. And he's paralyzed. He was paralyzed when he was a little kid. He broke his legs. And David goes, perfect. Bring him over here. And Mephibosheth uh, is probably thinking that he's going to be killed because he's in the family of uh, the guy that was trying to kill David. But what David does is he, he crowns him with honor and glory. He makes him an heir. He tells Mephibosheth, from now on you can eat at my, my table every night, and I'm going to give you this, this estate to watch over, and I'm going to give you property and land and money. And he crowns Mephibosheth. Did Mephibosheth deserve that? No, nothing, right? In fact, actually, Mephibosheth asks David, this is the question he asks, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Doesn't that kind of ring similar to what is man that you're mindful of us? Mephibosheth has more of an accurate res uh, uh, response than David even does, <laughs> right? What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? A, a, a posture of humil humility he comes with. But that's us. And God crowns us, and we're invited to his table. And that's who we are. That's who we are more than our stuff, more than our interests, more than what we think we are. We are God's adopted children. And we, we can say that, we know that, but do we actually live from that? So we see God's majesty and power. We see that by God's grace through Christ, we are children of God. And I'll get back into that a little more later. Now we're going to look at the third point here, though. What has God called us to do with the identity that he's given us? Look at with me verse, with verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. Right? And then he goes on and lists what those things are. So what has God given man? Yeah. Dominion. Dominion over, over his creation. So what does it mean that God's given us dominion? Um, dominion, you know, can appeal to a young, uh, newly married man. When I was 23 years old, I was like, yeah, I'm all for the verses in the Bible that says that a wife should be submissive and that, uh, yeah, I got I to gotta do my part and love my wife, right? But dominion isn't me coming home going, hey, I'm king of the castle. Where's my dinner? Where's my laundry? Right? That's not dominion. Right? God has called us to reflect him. God doesn't just kick up his feet and say, you guys handle it and serve me. God calls you to, to be in partnership with him, which I really like that you guys call yourself ministry partners because that's what you are. Right? You're not just members. You're not just anonymous members of a, of, a, of a body. You guys are partners in this. And that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to, to take dominion. And we do that in our yards, 
right? Over the weekend, you guys probably did some yard work. You guys are, t- you guys are called to take, we're called to take the nothingness like God did floating over the waters and turn it into something. And so we do that on our property. We do that with our pets. We do that spiritually, though, as well. And Jesus comes onto the scene a thousand years later and raises the bar and says, hey, I don't want you just to have dominion over the earth. I want you to go and speak life into people. I want you to care for people. I want you to to have influence. And I'm setting you over this sphere of influence, and people are going to need you. People are going to, how are you going to respond to that? God has called us to do that. That's a privilege. And for somebody that had nothing and was on the track of losing my entire life nine years ago, this concept of actually being a child of God, not just saying it, but really, truly believing that I am a child of the Most High God that rules over all of creation and that can crumble down monuments, that can wipe out armies, that can send an angel to knock out 185,000 Assyrians in one night. That's my father? That's a mind-blowing thought. He's called us to be his children. But the problem is, we often fail at this. I couldn't, God calls me to take dominion, that he's my father, that I have this strong king of a father, but I can't find my keys in the morning. Can't find my keys in the morning. I can't even get through the day without getting exhausted and yelling at my kids. Right? So I can't do this perfectly. There's nothing that I can, and, and that's what God wants. He calls us to take domain, but he calls us to do it perfectly. So we're kind of lost there. We, don't, we can't do that. But fortunately, and here's a little plot twist, Psalm 8 isn't just about man. It's not about us, really. It's directly related to Jesus. And you might look at the psalm and go, I don't see Jesus' name anywhere in there. But check this out, all right? Matthew 21, I don't have it listed out here, but Jesus, uh, on Palm Sunday, he rides through, and people are saying, Hosanna in the highest, and he gets to the temple, and this is where we pick it up. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of law saw the wonderful things he did and showed them shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? He's directly quoting Psalm 8. You've you've taken children and you've used their sounds to silence the enemy. So Jesus is not just saying that these kids are singing about me. He's saying that he's the majestic God, that these kids' praises... He's going to stop his enemy with those kids' praises. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That he's, he's directly referencing himself. And then in Hebrews 2, verse 9, the second part of uh, Psalm 8, or as, as it flows, you can see how everything applies to Jesus. Jesus says that it's him. He's the majestic God. Hebrews 2, verse 9 says, but we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while because he took on human flesh. Now crowned with glory and honor, We didn't do anything to deserve it, but he's crowned with honor and glory because he suffered death and he lived a perfect life so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So 
Lord, oh Lord, majestic God, Jesus, made a little lower than the angels. And repeatedly in Corinthians, Ephesians, Paul quotes verse 6 of Psalm 8 and says that all things have been placed under the feet of Jesus. He has been given dominion of all things. And if Jesus has dominion of all things, that's good news for us. Because if we were the center of the universe, we would really mess things up, right? Nuclear war would probably be, everyone would welcome it if we all just walked along thinking that we are the center of the universe, right? We can't even take care of ourselves, though, let alone others. But there is one that can reign over all things perfectly. There's one that can restore all creation to what it should be. There's one that can cause the lame to walk and the blind to see, like you did earlier in verse uh, in Matthew 21. And there's one that has come to set the captives free. That's Jesus. There's only one of him, right? King Jesus. We need to trust him completely to rule over creation, but we also have to give him control of our lives. So does that mean we're off the hook? It's like, okay, you're saying that uh, I've been called to take dominion, but now you're saying I don't really need to take dominion because Jesus is going to take dominion. So why don't I just take that responsibility and give it to him, right? Now, Jesus has dominion. He calls you his son and daughter. God calls you his sons and daughters. He invites you into that. He invites you to be a ministry partner. My, my thoughts went back to Mephibosheth when I was thinking about this question because it's like, okay, what's the, what's the difference? If I preach this sermon, I say all these things. My thoughts went back to Mephibosheth. We don't just walk away from the responsibility. What if he did not trust David? What if Mephibosheth called, or what if David called Mephibosheth to his palace and Mephibosheth said, that's too good to be true. Somebody get me out of here because David's about to kill me. And Mephibosheth never showed up. He would have died poor without anything, right? He still would have had identity issues about even his name, which means shame, out of the mouth of shame, right? But he did show up. And what happened because he showed up? God restored him. God trusted him. God, David worked with him, right? And God calls us to do the same thing. He, he calls us to be part of what he's doing. It's through King Jesus that, that we're saved and that we have this. So let's trust him and proclaim to the world, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, sometimes, sometimes it just seems too good to, be, to, to believe. Sometimes it's, we've heard these things so many times that we don't even think about them anymore. But Lord, you are majestic. We do praise your name. We do acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And you have been so gracious to us, God. You're patient, you're kind, you're caring, you're merciful. And so, Father, we thank you for how you've called us uh, to be your sons and daughters. And you've done that through Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.